Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter three. Um, we are gonna finish up a sermon series today on the ecclesia. Um, Dustin, would you be able to put the slides on the back for me? Um, for some reason, I can't see them on the rear screen. That would help me a lot, so thank you. Um, we're finishing up a sermon series on the ecclesia. Ecclesia is a Greek word. It's a fancy word, not really a fancy word, but it means church. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at God's purposes for the church, the origin of the church, how it's supposed to be uh, really a a group of people who bear witness to the Messiah in the places in which God has placed them to live and to play and to work and to study and and all these things. And so we're going to be looking at what happens after what you studied two weeks ago with Pastor Tom. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, you find this birth of the church and then you find this picture of what the church consistently begins doing. And we find that in a couple of verses here um, that that 3,000 received the message of the Messiah and they were baptized and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this group of believers in the Messiah, um, they, they gather around together regularly Every day they're meeting. Every day they're going and they're worshiping. They're eating together. They're they're having a a pattern of life that was both um, communal, but it was also very intentional. And we'll see that intentionality with the apostles in Acts chapter three. Um, In Acts chapter three, we're introduced to the story how Peter and John, they go up to the temple to pray and they meet a lame man on the way. And there's a song that maybe you saw in Sunday school many years ago, which I won't sing for you this morning, but, but they encounter a person, a lame man, a lame man who had been lame or unable to walk from birth, and God does an amazing thing in and through them for the benefit of this man, but also for the benefit of all those surrounding. So I invite you, if you're able in body or in spirit, to stand with me once again as we read the scriptures this morning. Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they, re- and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe, They were filled with astonishment at what had happened to them. 
while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of our Abraham, or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murder given to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and you know, so the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of you all. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we thank you for stories of incredible healing, incredible power at work um, in your church. And God, as we look at what this meant for the people of the time, and we consider what it means for us, your church here now today in uh, West Michigan and around the world, we pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to set upon it, that we might live faithfully with you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. It's an amazing story. When I was a kid, we would sing that song, we went walking and leaping and praising God. Maybe you know it. Um, it's an incredible thing to picture this in your mind, what is going on. And the reason I wanted to study this passage with you is because I think we see two aspects of how Peter and John in particular engage in their faith relationship with, with the Lord. Number one, we see them actively walking as disciples of Jesus, having a deep walk with God that is based upon God's love for them and God's grace in their life and based upon the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. The, the resurrection that gives them hope because their sin no longer defines them, they're now defined by Christ's death and his resurrection. But secondly, we see that they have a great care for others. Not only do they have a great care for the believers, which Acts chapter two talks about, we see that they continue to go and they continue to worship in the temple complex and they continue to, to love people who are outside of the messianic believer circle. Um, here's what I mean. Peter and John, as they're getting ready to go up to the temple, um, they passed by a guy and this guy had been lame from birth. Um, Acts chapter four actually tells us that he is over 40 years old and he was carried to that place regularly to beg. Now, when it comes to like location, let's, let's look at this in a couple different sections, I guess. Um, three, uh, chapter three, verse one, gives us a bit of a context here. Peter and John going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. So they're coming up to the temple complex. Here's a photo of, of, one, of some of the gates this is the temple complex. This is a model of it, of what it looked like in the first century. So they're walking up to the temple complex. They're going at the ninth hour, your translation might say, or yours might say 3 p.m. Uh, the ninth hour in Jewish framework of time is 3 p.m. And they're going up for one of the prescribed prayers of the Jewish people. There's, there's three times a day that the Jewish people would pray. Um, there's the morning prayers, there's the afternoon prayers, and then there is the evening prayers. This is that afternoon 
afternoon prayer. So they're going up, um, they're gonna go um, offer some prayers. Part of those prayers would have involved the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And they would have prayed other prayers, both written and some extemporaneous, um, up at the temple. But they're going up to do this together. Um, this was part of, of their Jewish heritage to go up to the temple to pray. But, but now they're going up even more intention, intentionally because they know that the fullness of God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob is found in a man called Jesus of Nazareth. And so they have a, a new hope. They, they, ha, they have a new um, a walk, a, a new life, a, a new purpose in order to bear witness to the Messiah. So they're going up and, and they're going up to pray at three in the afternoon. Verse two says, and a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple complex. Um, begging was somewhat common uh, because you had a lot of poor people around you. So they would place themselves um, at various points in order to see people who are walking past. And so lots of people coming up to the temple gates to pray at, at, at the third hour, and he's going to ask for alms, which, which is something that many Jewish people would, would participate in as a way of showing benevolence. So it says here at the beautiful gate, just by way of understanding where we're at, um, this is a series of gates on the eastern side. There's a lot of conversation in academic circles and in scholarly circles about where is the beautiful gate. Um, one possibility is the eastern gate that's listed right here. Um, in the order of how things happen, in the story, um, they meet the man, and then after he's healed, they go into the temple courts. It's possible, um, it's, I should say, it's, it's unlikely that he's going to be at the Corinthian gate because they're already deeply into the temple at that point. One of the possibilities is this eastern gate. Another possibility is a place that is called Robinson's Arch. This is what it looks like um, in recent years after archaeological stuff has happened. And you can see the outline of, of a gate right there. Um, here's what it looks like in a rendering uh, of a model there. This is another place that it could potentially be. Uh, another place that it could be, just to kind of give you a, um, a visual, here you have uh, the Dome of the Rock over here, and you have uh, the original temple is, is down beneath that. You have the double gate right here. On the double gate, it leads to the southern steps, and so this would have been a, a significant place for um, people to come in into. Um, come in and pray and to gather in the temple complex. Here's another photo of this. There's the double gate. You can also see um, here that you can see some, uh, the Herodian master course. These, these stones right here, labeled Herodian master course, those go back to the, that first century, which is just phenomenal to think about. These southern steps Jesus would have walked on. And then you can see the outline that the, that's been colored up there of where the double gate has been. My point in showing you all of this is to say this is a real place, these are real, uh, uh, locations. Uh, we don't know exactly which one the beautiful gate was. Uh, if you'd like to read more about that, I'd happily give you a bunch of stuff that you can read and, and come to a conclusion. Those are some of the possibilities there. But Peter and John, they're, they're going up. They're going up to pray. And they're stopped by a man who cries out and he asks for help. Right? So imagine you're walking into the temple and, and you see um, beggars on the side and, 
and it says that he's been here day after day. So you can imagine that this is probably a person whom they've probably seen before. Whether they've paid attention or not, he has been there. He's been begging regularly here. And something about this day, and I don't, I don't know why this day, other than God wants to do an amazing thing in his life this day for his glory. Um, th- this, this beggar likely would have seen Jesus come in and out of the temple, or maybe heard him preach. Uh, when the city was um, lively, after the Passover and, and uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection, he would have been around to hear all this going on. He would have known this name. But what we're given here is that on this day, he's begging, and Peter and John stop. Notice what it says. I love the intentionality with which um, Luke is writing this. He says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, this is verse three, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, notice, he looked, they looked at him intently. And they said, look at us. So they're walking in. The guy's asking for help. They stop everything they're doing. They look at him intently. And they say, look at us. If you're driving or you're walking in downtown Grand Rapids or somewhere else and you see people who are begging by the side of the road, you probably, as just an instinctive have probably just kind of turned your head away. But notice what they do. They look intently. They, they, they hear the cry and they say, hang on a second, where's that coming? You, look at me. Last week, um, as Jason was speaking, one of the things he said, and I, I loved it, is he said, you can minister to people by recognizing their humanity and by ministering to them, even if you're not giving them money, but to get to know their name and to get to know their story. A couple weeks ago, well, maybe more than a month ago, my wife and I were downtown Grand Rapids and we were going somewhere, stopped by a gentleman um, on on the streets who needed help. He was looking for food. I said, how can I help you? I I stopped, I got his name. I was like, what's your story? I was like, absolutely, I'll, I'll buy you food. What's your story? And got a little bit of his story. And, and the story was a little bit erratic and, and the story doesn't, does, doesn't matter for today except to say every person has a story. They look at him and they show care by actually looking him intently. Showing that he is a person, showing that he is a, a person who is loved by God even just by how they look. I, 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 I think the number is around 70% of um, communication happens non-verbally. So when they stop and they look intently, even before they speak, look at us. They're showing something of worth to him. They're lifting him up by saying, this is a person who is hurting. Now, as the story here goes, they say, look at us. Verse five, so he turned to them expecting to get something from them, right? He is looking for something in particular. He's looking for alms, he's looking for money, he's looking for resource. Um, Apparently, they had nothing of that on this day because Peter says, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have, I give you. Think about Peter's story. Peter was that lively disciple who said, Jesus, I'm with you until the end. Jesus says to him, this is before Jesus died, he says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. 
Jesus knows that that will be Peter's story there. Peter denies his Lord. He, he, he races out of that third denial. He hears the rooster crow broken. You can imagine how much he, he may have felt like he failed Jesus. Until they gather around in the Gospel of John, they gather around this fire. And Jesus, after his resurrection, says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he's restoring Peter to service. He's restoring Peter to ministry. He's saying, because Peter's saying, Lord, you know I love you. You know everything. And Jesus is saying, Peter, then feed my sheep. Be intentional about how you minister to people because Peter, as, as you may remember us studying, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter knows he has a mission. Peter knows he's part of the mission. Peter knows he's been restored to Jesus, not because of anything he's done, but because of God's great love for him. And here he stops and he, and he intently looks at this man and he says, I don't have the money you think you need, but I do have something I can give. In fact, perhaps you could say, I have something uh, much greater that you could receive. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. For Peter, for him, for him, to, um, for him to partner with God in this miracle, um, he has to first have a vibrant relationship with God and a calling of God upon his life. Now, Peter is one of the apostles and the apostles did some amazing healings in the book of Acts. And most of the time in the book of Acts, when healings are done, they're there to authenticate a message. I'm not suggesting that you walk out of this place and that you go find someone who cannot walk and say, be healed. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that what, what Peter is doing under the supervision and the power of the Holy Spirit was especially unique to this time because God is authenticating the message of the gospel. And you see that in the ensuing chapters. But Peter says, I don't have any of the money you think you need, but I have something that I want to give you. Notice he doesn't sell it. He doesn't pawn it off. He says, I want to give this to you. And what does Peter do? He says, um, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Imagine you're, you're, you're someone who's been 40 plus years. You're used to people carrying you from place to place. You're used to people having to help you care for your needs. And you're sitting by the gate called Beautiful and you think, I just need a little bit more money in order to have food for today and maybe for tomorrow. And this guy, Petros, uh, Peter, stops and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. What would you think about that? <laughs> like, how would your mind begin to process what he's doing? I, I like in chapter three where it says a little bit later, um, it says in verse 16, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and you know so that faith comes through him. So, so the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. It seems that this, that this man believes <laughs> 
right? It, it seems that, that, that Peter not only brings, um, it, like f- faith maybe isn't the reason that he walks, but you see this, that he has an, a, a response to this message. He has a response to Peter. When Peter says, in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, get up and walk, what happens? Peter walks over to him, he grabs him by the right hand, he lifts him up, and then you see an incredibly changed person. Look at what happens. He says, um, it says here in the text, he raised him up in verse seven, and at once his feet and his ankles became strong, and he jumped up and he stood and he started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I don't know what his spiritual condition was before him. I don't know if he's a, a religious Jew of one stripe or another, or if he's an agnostic, if he lost all hope. But what you see here is the response to this healing is this man believes. Whether he believed before or not, I don't know, but he believes now because he's praising God and he's saying, wow. In fact, his story becomes the, the context of the next couple of chapters here. Peter and John are going to be given an opportunity to now proclaim who Jesus is, what Jesus has done to the people. And as they do that, they actually get in trouble with the religious authorities and that all goes kind of crazy. But God brings great glory to his name through the healing of this man and through the proclamation of the message of the gospel that ensues from it. This is a man whose life, both physically and spiritually, will never be the same because he's been absolutely transformed by the name of Jesus. In fact, it's not Peter that has healed him, it's Jesus that has healed him. Peter isn't saying, I now make you walk. He says, in the name of, which means in the power of, in the strength of, in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, get up and walk. It all begins with Peter saying to this man's response, asking for alms, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. We wouldn't have this story if Peter had said, you know, the gospel's great for me. And he kept it to himself. For Peter, the transformation of Jesus in his life was so powerful, he couldn't not share. He could not share in any context to which God had called him. The other the other thing that I, I read in this is that there's a great togetherness that comes from the people. So amazing miracle happens. They walk in uh, leaping and praising God. In verse nine here, it says, all the people saw him walking and praising God. So who, who are all the people here? Well, they're, they're at the temple complex. It's filled with messianic believers. It's also filled with um, non-messianic believers. You know, Jewish people, Jewish men and women who are gathering there for worship. P- people of Israel who had not placed their faith in Yeshua or Jesus, the Messiah. All these people gather around and, and they meet at a place, the text says, called Solomon's Colonnade, which is this uh, area back here on the back side of this photo. So they walk into the temple. This amazing miracle happens. They run in, they're walking and leaping and praising God, and they go back here, and a group forms, and Peter begins to preach. And he begins to preach, and he begins to preach, 
and he begins to share about how Jesus had changed his life and how Jesus had brought life and wholeness and how Jesus had reconciled people to himself through his sacrifice. And, and he actually lines it up for these hearers so that they would understand that what Jesus had done is not um, separate from what God had been doing all along. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of so many prophets in the Hebrew scriptures that say there's a time coming where there will be a prophet who has cut off, but the Lord will raise up for you a prophet. Listen to him. And all families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring, most importantly through the seed, Jesus, the Messiah. So they're gathered there. There's a whole bunch of, of, of hubbub going on. And in the midst of all this, he's calling each one of those people to an independent relationship based on faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah. It's something that Peter had. It's something that John had. And so what they have personally, they give. This walk with Jesus, this knowing who they are in the Messiah, he says, this is what I have. I give to you, I give to you hope, I give to you um, joy, I give to you peace because it comes not from me, it comes from him. And the result is that there's a whole lot of people who hear the message. And a whole lot of people in the early parts of the church receive the message. And there's a whole lot of people who become um, opposers of the message because it runs against the other cultural norms and understandings of what they thought the Messiah would be and would do. But for Peter, the message he shares is something that he personally owns but he says, I give this to you. I give this to you. You could think of it this way. All of our spiritual life has a vertical component to it. That is, we all have to have a personal walk with Jesus. There's no other way to come to God except through him. And th- th- that's an that's a individual response to the gospel message. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus to forgive your sins and to cleanse you so that you can be righteous before God through his death and his resurrection, I invite you to that today. That's the invitation to you today. But as you and I, if you've received that message, we now have another message from Jesus. And that is to, as we have received, so we give. And that is the vertical part of our relationship with one another. Now, one another here in this view is a predominantly Jewish context. They're on the Temple Mount. Everyone who is there for the most part, unless they're a God-fearer or a proselyte, they are born a Jewish person, right? Uh, There's probably some guards there as well, and there's certain places they can go, but but when Peter is going in, like, he is largely preaching to a Jewish context. He, He knows that, and he has a great burden for the Jewish people, and he will have an increasing burden for the Gentiles who are far away from God and separated and alienated from God. But as he comes to this moment, he, he wants them to understand there is no life outside of Christ. None whatsoever. The, the, the life that we live here in the body is but a 
a small gift from God um, with a promise in the Messiah of an eternal life with God. And so he invites them, as I have received, here, partake of life. And so his ministry in the local church is both to Jewish and Gentile believers, increasingly, within the church. Peter becomes a, an emissary. He is an apostle. He is a sent one to proclaim the good news of Jesus to Jew and to Gentile. He becomes someone through whom God spreads the gospel along with all the other Jewish and Gentile believers. There is a, a corporateness to who they are as a people, but there's also a, a sent out mission for each one who calls themselves a follower of Jesus to then go out into their places wherever God would send them by the power of the Holy Spirit to share the message of hope and the message of life. And this is so important because we, we see how God transforms in this passage. We see how God wants to bring um, hope and he wants to bring joy and he wants to bring a wholeness to situations and as believers we have an incredible opportunity to do that one to another not that not that the hope comes through us but that we point people to the hope that is in Christ I was talking with a friend earlier this week something going on in their life and um I encouraged him with something I, I didn't think really too, too much about it because we talked about a lot of stuff and I got a text message from him later and he said, thank you for sharing that word of scripture with me because that meant more to me that God would continue doing a work in my life than you would ever imagine. And I just stopped for a moment and said, wow, of all the things we talked about, one of the things that stuck with him is that God is not done with him yet. What an incredible opportunity to serve in that way. I, I got a text message from a dear friend earlier this week and, and they were praying for me and they were praying for you. They're a member of our church um, and they, they don't have the opportunity to come a lot due to some health things and they just said, we are praying this for you. And I can't tell you how much that meant that as they're walking through some really challenging times, God was stirring within them a desire to pray for the people of God. When we think about the church, it can be very easy to think about the church as a building, as we've talked about. We can think of it as an organization, which we've talked about, but it's first and foremost and always a people. And it's a people who are gathered under Christ to bear his, to be witnesses for him, both to one another and to the world. The amazing thing that I love in this is that Peter is so incredibly intentional that as he stopped in what would probably be one of the many beggars along the street as he's coming into the temple, the Holy Spirit, I think, this is, this is a Jeremy thing, I think the Holy Spirit prompts him and says, turn and look. Ah, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I do give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The cool thing in here is, I read it, but, but he, he, he grabs his arm and they go in together. There's a sense of great community. In, um, in verse 11 of chapter three, it says, while he, and that is the formerly lame man, was holding on to Peter and John. Like, they go in together because 
The Spirit has brought them together. And this is the great picture of a church because the power of the church is first and foremost in the Messiah Jesus. But, but secondly, it, it's in that not, not one of us is left on our own. There's a, um, there's a famous song uh, sung in the, the uh, play Carousel. It's written by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And it's the song, You'll Never Walk Alone. And Liverpool uh, is a place in England and they're known, amongst other things, they're known for uh, one of their football clubs or for us Americans, that's soccer. <clears throat> um, but they have the soccer club called Liverpool. And at the beginning of their matches, and you can go online and you can listen to this. It's amazing to listen to. They gather and they sing. They start a recording and the whole, however many thousands of fans that are there, they start to sing the words to this song by Rodgers and Hammerstein, You'll Never Walk Alone. The chorus of it goes, walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Right before that it says, walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. And as you listen to recording of them all singing this, all the thousands of fans, they're like, they're belting it out. I, I think they eventually just fade the recording and they just let the fans finish it. And what's amazing is that group, like all, all the soccer players are taking their, um, their, their places on the, on the field and they're singing this together as, as a whole football, soccer Stadium, you'll never walk alone. They're encouraging in some measure, they're encouraging the, um, the, the players on the field, but they're also singing to one another because in that sense of thousands of people, there's an incredible camaraderie. You could easily apply that idea to what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where people don't walk alone. It's supposed to be a place where truth is upheld and grace is walked out. It's meant to be a place where people find healing and they find restoration, not because you and I bring healing and restoration, but because you and I know who does. <laughs> Unfortunately, throughout the ages, the church hasn't always been that. Sometimes the church has been a place where, where people have been hurt. Sometimes the church has been a place where, where people have uh, been abused. Sometimes the church has been a place that has piled shame and guilt. But God intends for the church to be a ministry of healing to people. We minister with truth because we, we can't find hope if we don't know what's true. We, we minister in, in love because Jesus says, you, um, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. We, we minister through um, conversation and encouragement. We, we minister through listening. We minister through presence, just being there. We minister through giving, supporting one another. You see this in the early church that, that um, in the ensuing chapters, th there's a great community of you have a need, how can I meet that need? It, there's great joy pictured in Acts chapters two and three 
and for, even amidst hardship, because the church knows that they're not alone. Firstly, they know they're not alone because God has promised to always be with them. The coming of the Spirit is in response to a promise that Jesus says, I must go, but there is one who is coming who will indwell you and who will walk with you in everything that you face in life. Greatly paraphrasing there, uh, John chapter 14 and 15. Um, I believe it is. Um, but not only are you not alone because the Spirit is with you, you're not alone because I have given a body. When one hurts, you hurt with them. When one celebrates, you celebrate with them. When, when there's one who has gifts over here, you celebrate those gifts knowing that there's someone who has gifts over here that help to complement what God wants to do through his people. And that's part of the picture of what God wants our church to be. A ministry to the world, a ministry to our community that speaks hope and that speaks truth, that speaks the, the, the life of Christ through proclamation and through active ministry into other people. I placed in your bulletin for today, on the second page, I had Paula put this in there for you, um, a church covenant. Th this is something that is in our faith document. And, and I want to read this as we get ready to close because I think this gives a great picture of what God designs. And there's scripture to back all this up for the, for the, con for the context of your bulletin. We left it out just for the sake of, of space and such. Um, but I love how this has been placed within our church covenant to describe the walk and the practice of us as people here at First Baptist Church. Listen to this. Here's what it says in our church covenant. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's that vertical relationship with God. And on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, as in the presence of God, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. There's the, starting to go this way, we're vertical, we're starting to go horizontal right now in our, in our walk, in our life. We covenant, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of his church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. We also covenant to maintain family and secret devotions, to scripturally educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk prudently in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment and to be zealous in our efforts to evangelize the world for our Savior. We further covenant to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. We, moreover, covenant that when we remove from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. It's a great summary. 
It's a great summary that helps point us forward to the church that God wants us to be. Here's my ask for you this week. You have it now in, in your bulletin. If you're online, there's a bulletin online. You can find it uh, on there. Um, I invite you to take this home with you and I invite you to pray through this. And I invite you to ask God to reveal to you, Lord, how would you have me grow in how I walk out this covenant, right? This covenant is not scripture, it reflects scripture. But ask the Holy Spirit, say, God, how can I better walk more closely with you? Because there's these vertical parts, uh, maintaining family and secret devotion, scripturally educating our children, receiving Christ, and walking together in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. All, all these things are good. But, but then God, as I walk with you, Lord, how would you have me walk with one another? There's so many one another passages in the New Testament that point the church forward to who we are supposed to be. And, and here's, here's the, the expectation with this. Um, to be a great commissioned church, to, to, to walk out the fullness of this covenant, we can't do it alone. We need God's help. There is no way to walk out the principles and the truths of this covenant in your own strength. So as you go home, and as you engage your week, keep this before you, and make this a matter of prayer. That's my, that, that, that's my encouragement to you. Whether you're a, 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 a full-on side and sealed member here, or whether you're a regular tender here, maybe this is your first time, I want you to take it home and say, Lord, how would you have me walk out in your power the principles of ministry to you and ministry to the world and to the church community and their greater community around me? Because it's through the church that God brings hope to the world. It's through his people who bear the witness of this is who Jesus is. Pray with me, please. Our Father and our King, as we consider story of a man who is loved by Peter and John and who you do an amazing work of transformation and God, thank you for the story of healing even more, thank you for the story of walking and leaping and praising God and having a, a, a life that is completely transformed by your grace. And God, we want to be a church that is continually transformed by your grace. We want to be people who, who don't walk in our own power. We want to walk in your strength. And God, we want to walk um, with Christ who is our life. And so as we consider this covenant before us, as we think about this, as we meditate upon this this week, we pray, God, that you would reveal to us how we could better walk more faithfully with what you want to do in and through us. Thank you, God, for the gift of community. Thank you even for the moments that we have in, uh, after this right here to encourage one another, to speak truth to one another, and, and to be the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.